0: Politech 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame. Commander
1: Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of evil. Now. Hello, welcome to Star Trek From the Holodeck, the Discovery Edition. I am in the studio today, as well as The Bridge, with David Sabal. Elm is ready, Captain. Yeah. Are you ready for your gay backstory yet? (laughs) I'm going to give it to you. Not not, Not, that way. Not that way. Right, I'm not going to give it to you. I'm (laughs) I'm, I'm going to write you a gay backstory. Is that okay? How come I feel like,
2: you know... Cornwall in this one.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's other things we can do to pass the time, David. (laughs) There's other things. I I am Lorca. I'm (laughs) Lorca this week. (laughs) All right. So today we're going to be discussing and breaking down Star Trek Discovery Season 1, Episode 6, Lethe. Another title, David. It's another title that is yet poetically chosen and fitting for this week's episode. And we're gonna get into that and exactly what that title means and connection to the events that unfolded this week.
2: Dude, I'm so glad that basically Star Trek's kind of brought back kind of like the importance of the, of a title. Yeah. I think a lot of shows don't put emphasis on no. that anymore and they just throw it away. And a lot of the times titles don't mean anything to yeah. uh, shows.
1: I agree. It's definitely a lost art, and it's something that Star Trek has always done throughout the years. They always made their titles relevant, and not just the obvious buzzword of choice for the episode, but in connection to the story, some of the best ways to tell your story sometimes and, and to kind of give a little bit of a uh, a hint or preview as to what the story is going to be about is to have a title that means something. That means something, yeah. And that's something that I'm finding very enjoyable about Star Trek Discovery is their choices of titles. Now, this week's episode is directed by Douglas Ornowski and written by Joe Minoski and Ted Sullivan. The synopsis, the USS Discovery crew, is intrigued by new edition Lieutenant Ash Tyler. Asarek seeks Burnham's help rekindling memories from her past. Admiral Cornwell questions Lorca's Tactics. Now, the latter of those elements is going to be the bulk of today's discussion, because there is so much to get into, and not just in connection to Sarek and what they're doing with him in terms of story, but the connection to the bigger picture of Star Trek. Yes, and for those Star Trek fans, again, I'm going to say this: who are not on board, they are so missing out because. You, by watching this episode, you totally understand and get, I'm sorry, they the the Star Trek writers, this is a better way of saying this, David, have revealed that they truly understand Star Trek canon and the development of one of our most important characters in Star Trek history, and that is Spock's father. Yeah. And the way they're connecting his story that actually makes sense to what we've seen before, is the biggest treat that any Trek fan can have.
2: Oh, absolutely, dude! Especially, especially if you're a TNG fan, because in throughout TNG's history, the episode that always, a couple of episodes, one of the episodes that really stuck with me to this day is the ones that dealt with Sarek, Spock, and Picard, and those all those episodes really opened up. Questions about the the character of Spock's father, yep, and you know it kind of hit, it hits close to home about the father son dynamic between uh, Spock and Sarek, and then when you get this callback, and I call it a callback, this was legitimately a callback to explain all those things we saw in TNG, where the most famous scene, one of the most famous scenes of all that a lot of Star Trek fans know is Picard. Uh, Patrick Stewart going crazy in this darkened room speaking as if he's Sarek talking about his emotions about his son. Yep.
1: And you bring it back to this and it makes complete sense. It really does. And the connections go even deeper than that, Dave. And we're going to get into all that. But this week's episode saw Sarek definitely, definitely becoming more of a Pivotal, pivotal, pivotal character this week. He was brought to the forefront of Trek once again, yet again. I can't speak. I think <laughs> I got the Katra uh, of, of an idiot. <laughs> 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 I mean, thought. I thought this was a fun treat for the old school fans of Star Trek. Uh, we've all grown up watching Star, uh, Sarek, but outside the original series and of course that uh, TNG episode, we never had a lot of development on him outside a, of a few instances and nothing as in-depth as we are getting now and what I'm sure, no doubt, we're going to be getting in the near future with this series. Absolutely. He is a lead character in the series. So the, the mythos of Sarek is just going to be built more and more and more. And as long as they continue to draw correlations like they're doing to things that we've seen in the past and they stay consistent and true to who we know Sarek as then guess what? I'm okay with it. I think it's a fantastic idea. Um, also, not forgetting that the focus of this show is Burnham and how it's going to add to her development. And that's exactly what Sarek did this week. Uh, the relationship between Burnham and Sarek is making more and more sense, uh, particularly with the absence of Spock and taking into account that at this time, Sarek and Spock are estranged and not speaking yes. to each other. Um, if you're not a Star Trek freak nutcase nerds like ourselves and you might not know that but that is the case and we're going to get in that into that a little bit more in the sh- later in the show um, I'm also pleasantly surprised that they are sticking so close to the Sarek that we've only been sparsely introduced to uh, taking asp- aspects of his character and expanding on them uh, not changing them uh, plus James Frain. It's just an oh, amazing he's, he's talent. Been doing
2: an amazing job, sir.
1: Yeah, so it's a win-win. What we're getting so far, he was a great casting decision. In fact, when I saw first, I've always I've been a, a long-time fan of James Frayne ever since his uh, his days on The Tudors, that uh, show that aired on Showtime. Uh, he had a short run in that series, but the little bit that he was seen in the series. He, you know, he owned every scene he was in. He's a fabulous actor. So when they cast him, I immediately saw him as as a Vulcan because he has that Vulcan look. That we, he has that stature. Yeah, for sure. So before we break down the episode bit by bit, we've got a few things to um, share and some news. I wanted to give some perspective on the current time frame of events taking place. Uh, David, I think it's vital for us to understand exactly the time frame that we're in when it comes to being a Star Trek fan with all the 50 years plus of Star Trek that we've viewed we find ourselves constantly questioning certain aspects like where's the Enterprise? Where's Pike? Where's Kirk? I mean that's something that it's just It's just a normal part of being a Star Trek fan. Whenever we're dealing with a prequel type series, it's always going to be there because of the iconic nature of these characters. Yeah. Um, I started reading the prequel book, Star Trek discovery, desperate hours written by David Mack. And it's definitely worth a read, Dave. Uh, And once I'm finished, I'm I'm considering possibly doing a review and discussion on the book for our uh, Patreon subscribers. Because it's pretty damn enlightening, and even though Star Trek books, Dave, aren't necessarily canon, it's not like Star Wars books and Star Wars comics where everything matters. However, there was a connection that was purposely drawn in this book with the writing writers. For uh-huh. e- for example, the writer David Mack was heavily in- involved. Or privy to what was going on with the Star Trek Discovery series. And a lot of the notes that he had to include was handed down from the CBS All Access writers for Star Trek Discovery. And they wanted this to be a true prequel. So even though it may not be canon and they can go back and change it. The point is is that these notes and this background from the book was there as they were writing Star Trek. It was there to give us some insight into not just the characters, but also the time frame in which our series takes place. It takes place. Like, that, and that in itself is actually
2: really important, especially when you're dealing with expanding the universe of Star Trek at this point, because that's what they're doing. They're trying to add onto the expanded universe of Star Trek, and you have to do it by filling in those gaps and filling up those holes that basically you have to explain certain areas in the timeline that's not It hasn't been talked about. And Discovery, the one problem with Discovery is the the hemming and hawing, I guess you could say, about where does it take place? When does it take place? What's the exact date? What's going on?
1: Right. And and we know that it takes place roughly 10 years between or before the... Five-year mission that Kirk and Spock and the original crew that's embarks. The
2: key, that's the key term there though.
1: But there's, but there's two other things here to take away from this book that this book sheds some light on. Because we actually talked about this a couple of weeks ago, Dave. Two things. Number one, confirmation on who's the current captain of the Enterprise. We were wondering who who would it be. Would it be Captain was Captain April? April. I forgot his it's name. It's either now. April uh Pike April is it Captain April my mind is uh, Robert April Robert April Robert 8 A- was it Robert April or Christopher Pike those are kind of the two choices now we find out in this book because this character is actually in the book the desperate hours as well as Spock Captain Christopher Pike is in fact currently the captain of the Enterprise and Spock is his first officer during this time so both gentlemen are currently flying around the galaxy so it makes sense. It does make sense. So this also takes place. Discovery takes place two years, roughly two years after the famous Talos 4 mission, where the crew of the Enterprise uh, runs into the infamous Talosians, the individuals that are able to kind to kind of put some type of fake. They can control you. They have mind powers. They're psychic, yeah, it's and they can the make pilot you, episode. Yes. There's the connection right there. So this takes two years after that, which I think is interesting. Now that we know Spock is, in fact, on board the Enterprise as first officer and Captain Pike is on board the Enterprise as captain, man, this opens up a lot of possibilities and questions. Now, I know we're not going to see them. And honestly, right now, I don't want to see them in the series because I feel like this show needs to stand on its own it needs to it needs to prove itself as its own series first and then once it has managed to build its own house then you can invite your friends to come play i i
2: agree i agree because like i don't expect to see spock in discovery for a while would i like to see him Yeah, because like he is a it, as funny as it sounds especially after this past episode going back to this episode the important, the importance of Spock to Burnham is even more important now because well, the, there's
1: implications. there. There's, implications, there's implications, there implications there
2: about about their family dynamic. Yeah,
1: and whether or not they're on the outs, could they possibly be on the outs? And and is that the justification as to why we're not going to see Spock or even hear about Spock? Or maybe is this the reason why Spock never has Talks spoken? No, I'm talking about why cuz people question the trolls out there immediately said, "Well, how come Spock never mentioned her?" Well, this could be this could what be we it. saw this week could be the very reason why he does not, which I don't want to get into that too much cuz we're going to break that down oh, yeah. in depth after our first break. I just like that this book kind of opened up the door a bit more and gave us a a little bit more of a peek into what's actually happening in this time frame because this is a time frame that we haven't really just we haven't really explore too much i mean we explored of course the hundred years before and we've had we have ideas of what has been going on between that hundred year gap and what we saw in um the original series but everything else is pretty much wide open for interpretation and as long as they can they can connect those dots and make it make sense between or with everything we've seen before i feel like they have a good area that they can actually play in for quite some time
2: Dude, it's really exciting that basically nowadays Star Trek is slowly but surely getting its momentum back with getting more content out there. I mean, we haven't had like a lot of Star Trek content probably besides the movies, book wise and everything else. It's been it's been relatively late. Yeah. If well, you th-
1: the problem if with you think about it. The problem with books, David, is that they, and I know they're not going to do it because it takes a lot of money, a lot of time. But what they need to do. What I would suggest, and I'm sure they probably juggled the idea as well, they need to just turn the books into canon. Not all of them, obviously, but say, all right, starting, you know, January 2018, all books that are now coming out will be canon, and we're going to have strict rules. And just to point to comparisons, uh, point to Star Wars, I mean, as a way to contrast, I should say, uh, Star Wars has has done it pretty well with making all their books, comics, video games, all relevant. And in actuality, it's a great way to really build up the mythology of a series or a franchise and also add more money to your bottom line. Because knowing that everything is canon, more people will be like, oh, this story actually matters. Because I'm I'm a canon nut. Like, I will pay attention more if it's canon. If it's not canon, I, teem- I tend to shrug it off and not really view it as anything other than, Eh, it passes the time. Yeah. But it doesn't really do anything because we can have all this development in a book on a character, all this development on an alien species. But guess what? It doesn't really matter to the grand big picture of Star Trek. And I feel like Star Trek could definitely benefit from that. However, they don't have the deep pockets that Disney has. No. And, and Lucas doesn't. and Lucas Film. And in order to have quality control and to make sure you control every aspect of your story. You need to have deep pockets. You need to have that money. And unfortunately, CBS and the Roddenberry Estate, they do not have that type of dollars because it takes a lot of time, a lot of manpower and a lot of money in order to control your story in that way. Yeah. And I think that and that's why we're never going to get it. We're never going to see unless Disney buys Star Trek, which, hey, it could happen. You never know. Uh,
2: I don't think we're going to see it. I think you would have to see you'd have to see almost kind of like a, a similar move that LucasArts did, the Roddenberry Estate would have to do it. And that, I think, is going to be the tough part because, like, the Roddenberry Estate, it's it's basically really devoted to the fact that Star Trek is supposed to follow Gene Roddenberry's vision. Anybody other, any other vision might, they'll go against it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it may, it may. Who knows? And, and I know there are stipulations in his uh, in the estate oh, pertaining to exactly what you just said. So it's something that I doubt as Star Trek fans we're ever going to see. Although I I really think it would actually boost benefit. I, I yeah, it would. Not only would it boost story, but it also boost revenue as well. If people were told that this comic book and these books were now officially canon, you would see a surge in sales. Yes. Most definitely. All right, so on to very happy news, David. I want to take a moment to appreciate the fact that Star Trek Discovery, despite shields being dropped down to 25 percent due to troll attacks, <laughs> Star Trek Discovery has been renewed for a second season.: Oh, that's awesome. I'm excited. Yes. I am amazed. Hold on. Let's get some music in here. I gotta celebrate. <laughs> I think I might have chosen the wrong song. However, David, I'm very surprised that they made this announcement this soon. Usually, shows don't get that pickup until after the series has ran its course. And maybe this is a smart move on the half on the on uh, on the part of CBS, and they're doing it intentionally to kind of create excitement, letting people know, hey, guess what. This show will be back, so subscribe, start watching now because you're not just going to get one season, despite the fact that there is a lot of negativity on social media. And you got to remember, David, this world is much bigger than social media, and a lot of people, um, unfortunately, are only isolated to what we see on social media. But if you look outside that in the academic circles and you talk to people and read the trades, there's a lot of praise on Star Trek Discovery, it isn't negativity. The negativity yeah. is coming from social media because I think we can all agree that social media is a uh, is a cesspool for
2: for, <laughs> is to- a ha- for
1: toxic in- toxic individuals.
2: Is a haven for scum and villainy.
1: Yeah, come on, why are you crossing <laughs> streams again, David? I had to. It's right there, always, always. Why you got to cross streams? <laughs> um, anyways, um, I'm excited. I think it's a, a good move. From a business standpoint. To definitely get that announcement soon. And we're going to get into. Uh, what was I going to say? Did you threw me off with crossing, <laughs> <streams> <laughs> crossing <here. extremes>. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm sure there were some folks out there. Hoping they could stop the signal. By uh, being toxic trolls. But in the end. You lose, losers. You can, <laughs> I just that's... like. Dude, I, listen, I'm not calling Star Trek fans losers. I'm calling <laughs> trolls losers. All right? Trolls Losers. Yeah, trolls. <laughs> I'm gonna fire on that one over there. Set your uh, phasers to full effect, Dave We're gonna kill. We're gonna kill some trolls. <laughs> Why not? You lose. You lose. <laughs> fire. Oh, yeah, I wanted to make sure that one was dead. <laughs> yeah, so we can uh, definitely rest easy knowing that we are, in fact, getting a second season of Star Trek Discovery. Now, David, on that note, we do need to go to a very quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to jump into the ins and outs of this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. We'll be right back.
0: Cry havoc and let's slip the dogs of war. Rain Show. The Rain Man Show.
1: I just think we need to get back to the To the basics and and really Caring about advancing as A civilization not worrying about Getting involved in social diatribe where people Want to get on the internet and they want to spiel their guts out About things that don't really matter we do need to get Competitive again and I think if we were to get Locked into some uh, what was it called the space race Whatever it was called yeah the race to the moon Or the race well I forgot the whole thing but Space space race and that's what I mean That's what Kennedy did Kennedy was a Huge advocate of the space program He had a lot of foresight he wasn't just Plowing chicks. He wasn't just plowing Marilyn Monroe. He also had a plan for our society. To plow in space. Yes. I'm going to be the. (laughs) Uh, This is John F. Kennedy. (laughs) And uh, I think don't ask what this country can do for you, but ask who you can have sex with in space (laughs) and make America great again. Ara. I'm, uh, I'm John F. Kennedy signing out. Yeah, For more Rain Man, visit
0: RainManShow.com. Holodeck Three program is reinstated. Open Sesame.
1: Star Trek to Star Wars yeah and I know That's blasphemous to so many Science fiction fans out there because So many people believe you can't be fans Of Star Trek and Star, it's Wars. Star Wars it's weird The producers of Star Trek Would never go up against this On the same weekend as the release of Star Wars And vice versa that's just silly
2: It'd be silly, but oh my god! It, I think the geek community would just explode at that point.
1: Oh my god! I'm gonna wear my Star Trek gear and I'm gonna set phasers to kill for any Star Wars fans that <laughs> get in the way. Good luck blocking that was your saber!
2: Did no. you picture though if like we've always been speculating about like Dave Filoni's next project? What happens if it's a live action Star Wars film or Star Wars TV show? Yeah, and they put it right against Discovery. Oh, that would be something.
0: Oh my god! What am
1: I? <laughs> Dude, say, set phasers to full effect on Dave Filoni's penis. Oh, you can't defeat Dave Filoni's penis because we're going to put a ray shield over it. Take that, Star Trek baddies. Star Trek from the holodeck, exclusively on Rainman Digital. Go to RainManDigitalMedia.com or Patreon.com slash RainManDigital. End
0: simulation. Have you ever wanted something so bad that you do just about anything for it? Well, that's exactly how we feel about you. That's right. AdamandEve.com wants you so bad. We're giving you 10 free gifts with your first order. You heard me right. That's 10 free gifts to spice up your love life. First, you'll get a sexy surprise for her. Second, an adventurous toy for him. And third, a little something we know you'll both enjoy. Plus, you'll get six full-length adult movies on DVD. And number 10, free shipping on your entire order. That's 10 free gifts for you shy types who've never tried Adam and Eve before. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item. It could be an adventurous new toy, a sexy piece of lingerie, or anything you desire. Just enter offer code DEAL30 at checkout, and you'll get all 10 free gifts, including free shipping. That's offer code DEAL30. That's D-E-A-L-30 at adamandeve.com.
1: Energize. Alright, welcome back to Star Trek from the Holodeck, the Discovery Edition. Alright, David, so we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 6, titled Lethe, directed by Douglas Aronofsky and written by Joe Minoski and Ted Sullivan. Once again, the synopsis, David, the USS Discovery crew is intrigued by new edition, Lieutenant Ash Tyler, Sarek seeks Burnham's help. Rekindling memories from her past, Admiral Cornwell questions Lorca's tactics after she gets the D. I'm (laughs) going to add that. (laughs) That was just an addition. After she gets his D, she then questions his tactics. What was she really mad? That she didn't have good sex or eh, (laughs) Lorca pulled a phaser on her? She's like, why didn't you do that while we're having sex? (laughs) Why didn't you choke me? Oh, come on, David. But yes, why not? <laughs> All right. So where to start? Where to start? I really like the introduction of the logic extremists. It makes a lot of sense on many, many levels. Uh, we were privy to this inside look at the Vulcan's ideology Politics and their own internal struggle, David, with their emotions and logic on the series Star Trek Enterprise. Oh yeah It actually was one of the show's strengths was when they went in to the psyche of the Vulcans and really explored what was really internally wrong with them. Uh, Vulcans have a bloody and violent past, and that's something we learned from Star Trek Enterprise. and, and, and a lot of people think they're emotionless. It's actually the opposite, and that's why this episode was so spot on and exploring those emotions as well, because it's not that they don't have emotions. They do, but they've learned to control them because they are far too passionate and full of emotion for yeah. a species. That was their problem. The problem was that they their emotions were way too powerful and too strong, and they knew that the only way they could come to terms as a society was to become better than that and to suppress emotions there
2: you go Suppress. they had to suppress all their emotions because they felt that emotions created like uh chaos element that
1: well they were warring they were warring with each other so they chose to deal with things logically rather than by emotion and i mean the philosophy behind that go watch star trek discovery or star trek enterprise because if you've never watched it if anything, watch it for that because it's one of the things that they definitely nailed and got right. I really loved that idea because it made a lot of sense.
2: Oh, let's face it, the reason why you liked it was
1: to T- Paul. Well, to Paul, too. <laughs> I mean, she made a lot of sense, if you get what I mean. In fact, I'm going to question her tactics afterwards as well. Question everything about her
2: <laughs> in depthly.
1: <laughs> uh, there is an understandable course of action, however, it's an ingredient for nefarious behavior. And that's one thing that I really like. Their emotional conflict was something ripped from Star Trek canon and then utilized to create this new idea of the logic extremists, which no doubt. Is going to play a part in this series. Maybe not be as prevalent this season. Because they're dealing with the Klingon war to start with. I can't imagine that the entire Star Trek Discovery run. Is going to rely on that aspect. I'm sure there's going to be other storylines. And other things to worry about. Um, and this is a great way to kind of add more depth. and dynamic And dynamics to the world of Star Trek at this time. Yes. And it would make sense that 100 years later, the Vulcans are still struggling. Because remember, again, Star Trek Enterprise happened, what, 100 years roughly before the Enterprise with Captain Kirk and Spock. So this is about 90 years. So the Vulcans are still struggling with racism and prejudice. A society cannot hope to abolish such things overnight. And there will always be radicals and extremists, especially in in a society that is very very old, the Vulcan culture is ancient, so to think that you can completely abolish such things in a hundred years is ludicrous
2: and I think that's why that's why I feel like Tng is really special because like by Tng standards, all that stuff apparently was abolished like humanity and everyone suddenly got along well together well <laughs> and then' one. But you had to show that progression. They
1: joined the Federation. Yeah. That was pretty much it.
2: You had to show that progression. And well, the thing I don't think people understand that basically you always say, well, TNG was never this dark. TNG was, never had this conflict. It took time. And TNG takes place, what, a thousand years? No.
1: Or, uh, uh, it's it, about a, it, it looks weird. like it's about 150 years. 150? So it shows that progression. Of I don't progression. know where we got four hundred years or a thousand years. Jesus Christ, was, we really dropped the ball on that longer.
2: one. The funny part is, I thought no, it was
1: Spock. Longer. was in it, so it can't be five hundred years.
2: No, it could because I know Fuck. Vulcans live that. Some Vulcans Even live that that long. David, now you're making things up. I'm gonna shoot. I'm gonna shoot you <laughs> in the face. You're shoot me.
1: Down? I'm gonna shoot my, me too. <laughs> we, we messed up. We deserve that punishment. But like, how could we possibly mess that one up? There's, there's something. There's something Here, Hold on. That that's one. Th- <laughs> I did that. We both deserve that. Well, we we lined each other up and shot right through each other. There, there's there's something or uh, re-
2: realistic and organic about showing the progression of a civilization. I never really I never really understood why people think that overnight, suddenly racism and all those negative things about humanity is just gonna suddenly disappear. Well,
1: look at our own country uh, for a, a great example. Yes, we've done. Wonders and we've made strides in, yeah. in evolving. However, I mean, less than a hundred years ago, people were still stringing up, you know, blacks and Native Americans. So, I, I mean, yes, we've grown, but that's a hundred years that's and we're years. still struggling in fa- in, in pockets in, the, in our country. They're still struggling with this very issue. So it does make sense that this aspect of Star Trek would be relevant ...in such a way as to introduce an entire radical group. It would, in fact, make sense. Mm -hmm. Um, This is ultimately used... Again, all this is great, David, right? All of this is good. This is a great way to add mythos to Star Trek. But you can't just give us blatant exposition... ...and nothing... ...and nothing that actually ultimately pays off for our characters. And this is where it pays off. Because ultimately... This was used as a way to flesh out Burnham's relationship with Sarek, and that was the point. It wasn't just giving the fans all this extra mythos into Star Trek, which is awesome, but it also was there as a writing device uh, to help focus the story a bit. It was a well-thought-out plan to not only introduce another element of political ideology that, will, again, that will no doubt turn its ugly head again in our direction very soon. But the way it was used, David, allowed us to figuratively and literally get inside Sarek's head.
2: Yes. And we all know that basically the importance of Sarek to, to Burnham's story, and make no mistake, Star Trek Discovery is about Burnham. It's it's exactly. her story. Yep. And the three important figures in, in throughout the series right now is, to Burnham is uh, Captain Georgiou, we've already said that, and then basically uh, uh, Sarek and uh, Saru. And this episode actually helps strengthen that, we called it what, the Trifecta of Brilliance? The Trifecta of Brilliance. And that, it strengthens that because it shows the relationship between her and Sarek now in full detail.
1: Yeah. And they could have easily explored this past with a shitty, lazy flashback. And they didn't. Yeah. This is not a flashback. This is how you do flashback. This is a flashback, but it's not. <laughs> this is how you do them, writers out there. God bless you, Star Trek Discovery writers. Everyone needs to take a, a, a lesson. Look at the lesson here. How you can explore someone's past without doing a lazy flashback sequence. All right, now we're going to spend 30 minutes in the past. Why? I don't know. (laughs) Because I can't tell a linear story. I don't know how. I must go back in time to explain. And the way they did this by using the metaphysical aspect of the Katra, which is Star Trek canon as well, was so effing beautiful. That's how you do it. It was such a great way to really flesh out Burnham's story. And by doing so, we learned a lot about Burnham and what happened to her as a child and the Vulcan Learning Academy and also later as an adult. Not only was her family killed by Klingons as we learned early on, but then the logic extremists also made an attempt on her life. Something that no doubt has played on her self-esteem. And the thing I love
2: about that is like as Star Trek fans in general, this this harkens back to, you know, uh Wrath of Khan, where basically Spock put his Katra into McCoy. Oh, that sounds. Come on. <laughs> Were you, was that a gay innuendo? That was. That was. A, that maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. But.
1: <laughs> no, I reverse that phrase. I like that joke.
2: But like, so actually being able to call Katra. back, <laughs> being able to call back on the use of the Vulcan Katra mm-hmm. is actually really cool. Yeah. I mean, we've. So in did the contra Trek,
1: penetrate McCoy then, are you saying?
2: <laughs> the only times we've ever
1: seen this. Uh, David, we better we better simmer down because we're, we're teetering very close to not being a family-friendly show, David. That is true. And we, we, have to and be, we don't want to make people mad.
2: We don't want to make people mad. Yeah. Because we have to be family-friendly. <laughs> <laughs> but the only times we've ever seen this technique used is in... Two major points in Star Trek history or, or porn. Star Trek lore. <laughs> see, see, you're, you're going
1: there, but it's <laughs> wrath of Khan. And then in TMG. Yeah, no, I agree. And the reason why I said that not only will this play or does play on her self-esteem because look at the bigger picture for all intents and purposes. At this time, she was Vulcan being, she is Vulcan. That's how she was raised. She was yes. raised in that environment. Now, imagine being shunned and killed by the very people she grew up or not killed because she wasn't, but being shunned and attempted murder by the very people that she grew up and wanted to become and wanted to be accepted by. I mean, this is a massive hindrance to psychological growth, confidence, and can definitely create a very angry disposition. And, And that's kind of the person we've met so far. Burnham is angry and erratic or erratic and it makes sense the more and more you see the decision she makes and how on edge she is you can see why you can definitely see why she made that decision on board the Shizao wait the Shinzao Shinzao yep more and more the more we learn about her and we find out about her history we start seeing those justifications as to why she made the decisions that she did. Now let's look at the parallels here as well. Star Trek, once again, being relevant. This is a common practice on, on Trek and also on today's television, but Star Trek has been doing this for years. This is nothing new to Star Trek where you draw parallels to real social politics of the time. And you pull from the social landscape to tell And craft some of your stories. This is nothing new. D. Space 9 did it. TNG did it. Voyager did it. Enterprise did it. Enterprise, in a lot of ways, uh, had a lot of influence dealing with their own version of, of, got to remember, Enterprise was in the aftermath of 9-11. So they pulled a lot of the problems that were going on, that was going on in our country. With racism and the potential inside job aspect, which I'm not going to get into conspiracy theories. However, it all played a part in enterprise. It was very relevant to the political landscape of 2001 and through 2005. And now. Started discovery, pulling on those same pulling a similar card from their back pocket and drawing those parallels. You can easily see the similarities. Uh, the Vulcans not wanting Burnham in the Science Academy is awfully similar to what we saw with many black women and men in, in decades past. Mm-hmm. Yes. Being rejected from schools and colleges due to prejudice. It's a very real thing to explore. And it's not heavy handed. And that's one thing that Star Trek has always managed to do. They, when they tackle something, it's it's subtle. It isn't them getting on a soapbox and pointing to you saying, this is how you should think it's just natural progression in their storytelling. And it's realistic to and relatable to, to real life. Because at
2: the end of the day, I think for like a lot of the star Trek, the thing I love about star Trek is it never loses its sense of the story. It's still telling a story. And I've always noticed that basically when a TV show gets on a soapbox and starts trying to force its political views on you it loses its it loses its way and starts it, it really does
1: it really does yep. you can have a political thought in your show yeah. you can in fact i love tv shows and movies that delve into social politics i feel like it gives it more value and merit but unfortunately i don't want to be browbeaten either and And I'm not talking about things that I believe in, even if it's something that I disagree with. Let's say the political ideology that they're pushing in the show is something I don't agree with. I don't care. That's your right. Art has always been used, and I always say this, to push progressive thought. Always. Yes. It's always been done. And I'm an advocate for the arts. So I say push. Push away. But be intelligent and smart about it. Even if I don't agree with it, be intelligent and be smart about it. And that's something that Star Trek has always done. It's 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 one of the it's one of the reasons why I love Star Trek. Yeah. It's one of its it's one of its
2: core strengths. I've I've always stated that basically Roddenberry has been a master at writing stories that have a connection to his time that he lived in, or to the political standpoint of the time at hand. And Star Trek's never really failed failed in that regard. Yeah. Uh, whether whether you, you're right, I mean, one of the core, one of the key strengths that Enterprise had was the fact that basically it did have those political ties that made it strong for the time for the time, the current time. And like I mean, currently, they right they, now,
1: they delved into Islamophobia like yeah, big time
2: with with the I think it was the Gene War, in Enterprise with. They, they they tackled
1: they, a lot in their four they, years, but yes, that was part of it as that well. Was,
2: that was insane. And during that time, that was like touching on really some sore spots yeah. in society. So I like the fact that Star Trek is one of those series that doesn't fear that. Yeah. It doesn't fear it, but it also knows how to do it.
1: Yeah, and that's the key. You need to have some... <laughs> some capable writers if you're going to do stuff like that i don't want to feel like you know a yeah. first year film student is writing uh his uh his theory on uh on why it's evil and bad why is racism naughty well <laughs> you know like I, I don't want to feel like a first year college stu- film student wrote this yes you know and that's something star trek is has managed to is had de- definitely overcome they've managed to do things intelligently um now Let's bring it back a bit, David, to Sarek, okay? The writer's using one character, uh, Sarek, to help us understand the past. Yes. Um, Again, kudos for not using an actual flashback, but a flashback by way of a metaphysical experience due to Sarek and Burnham being connected through his Katra. Which, by the way, is more than enough reasons, David, to justify Sarek's closeness to Burnham. The reason why he struggled with his decisions between Spock and Burnham. That's the very reason right there. I know there's been a lot of questioning from the Trek elite saying, well, all right, well, he's close to Burnham. But what about Spock? Why isn't Spock this character? And you got to remember, once again, Star Trek has already stated that during this time, Derek and Spock are estranged. There is no connection. There they is are no connection. they are upset at each other for reasons that actually was kind of alluded to in this episode. Yes. Okay. For example, we saw the Vulcan Science Academy only wanted to accept one non Vulcan into the academy. Okay and Sarek had to make a choice a choice that was very difficult for him to make but ultimately he chose his blood he chose his son to go to the Vulcan of Science Academy yes thereby creating emotional contradiction within Sarek and when you start looking back at Star Trek canon this makes sense in so many ways. Think about it. This all makes sense with Star Trek canon as well. Emotionally and motivationally speaking. The Katra is a big deal. And the emotional mm-hmm. connection it created is a big deal as well. And when you think about what he chose to do. Number one. He already at this time had had shared his Katra with Burnham. Right? Yes. He has that connection. So putting her on a similar level as Spock. She, he then chose Spock over her. Then... Based on what we already know from Star Trek canon, Spock chose not to go to the Vulcan Academy and went to Starfleet. Yep. Now, already stated, way back 50 years ago, Sarek didn't like that. He chose to go to Starfleet Academy over going to the Vulcan Science Academy, Mm -hmm. which is the reason why they're estranged. Now, let's harken all the way back now to what we saw in Discovery. And doesn't that mean much more in this scene and the emotional issues he's struggling with? The fact that he chose Spock over over Burnham, which already emotionally compromised him, right? It was something he probably struggled with as we saw that he lied to her over all these years, that he put Spock over her. And then Spock didn't even take the chance he gave him. Isn't this an interesting way that the writers can then justify why they're truly estranged for 18 years? Absolutely. I mean, that is a beautiful way to really weave all of that canon together with even greater meaning. I think that's why my favorite point in this
2: was when she came out of that, or she was forced to come out of that by uh, Tilly and uh, Tyler, and she's confused about it, and Tyler looks tells her... That basically, I, I forgot the exact words, but basically he says, on the lines that, well, maybe th- that memory is not yours. That's Sarek looking back at his own memory with re- with regret. Yeah, you know, like he's having the he's having a near death experience. Yeah, where he's seeing the moments in his life that he regrets, and that brought it home for me because that harkened back to TNG, and just like what you said, that it was so beautifully weaved together when you take a look at the grand picture of Sarek's character. I agree. And it leads to in TNG where Sarek is suffering from, I forgot the name of the disease, but it's a Vulcan disease where it's basically—it's like, yeah. like Alzheimer's. Yeah. And he starts deteriorating mentally and he has to actually do another Catra with Jean-Luc Picard because he has to actually control his emotions. And then that that scene with Patrick Stewart in the room, and he's going about Sarek's current emotions and how it's like a a maelstrom, a storm, and he's telling Beverly Crusher that I can't believe that there's so much regret in this man's mind. And then the last thing he says is like the one ultimate thing that he regrets in his life is the fact that he could not and would not tell his son that he loved him and when I thought about it, I rewatched that episode, dude. That still gives me chills. Yeah, when when uh, Jean, uh Picard screams that out, and it's it's literally Sarek basically saying he regrets his life with his son because he tried to do what's best. He thought sending his and then you come back to this episode. He thought sending his son was the best choice for him to send him to the Vulcan Academy, but. He had this inkling in his heart that basically he should have chose Burnham and kept Spock
1: safe. Yeah. And that's ultimately the reason why his subconscious drifted or lingered to Burnham. And the reason why I bring this up, David, because all of what you're saying makes perfect sense. It all fuels and and feels right. And it fuels back or harkens back over to Burnham in this very decision that we saw in Star Trek Discovery this week because there were some people because I read hashtags just yes. try to see what the general consensus is each week on the episode and there were some people complaining saying well okay so his final waning moments as he's dying went to went to um, Burnham and not his own son Spock and number one there's the Katra connection okay number one number two this is a stem of regret. This right here is an, is a regret that doesn't just reflect regret on a decision he made for Burnham, but also it has a lot of relevance to Spock as well. So just because Spock wasn't present in this memory doesn't mean the regret wasn't didn't encompass all of it. It was a decision that he made all the way through because he chose Spock. This all led to an estranged relationship with his son for the next 18 years, we would see. Yeah. And all of this came because of this instant. This moment in his life is what started all of it. It was the catalyst. So it would make sense that his mind and his waning moments of life would kind of linger on this thought. It makes a lot of sense. And I feel like it works from a psychological standpoint. It does. It it it's a milestone moment for him because
2: he has to make a decision as not just as a Vulcan leader and a Vulcan character, but he has to make a decision as a father. Yeah, and I'm and you have to choose. Between, the The thing that I thought was so cruel that Vulcans did to him was the fact that they made him choose between his children, and as Vulcans. You're not supposed to actually touch on emotion. What about Cybok, though? What about Cybok? You got to remember. Cy- <laughs> now, now, seriously,
1: Cybok
2: just... was actually, I think I think he was actually like one of his exiled children yeah. from another wife. And Sarek's all
1: over the place. Sarek was all over Sarah's the place. is getting after
2: it. But, the, but think of how cruel that was as a, for a Vulcan group to look at Sarek and say, we don't want you to be emotional, but here, you choose between your two children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like are you serious He he's not allowed to be emotional about this yeah you know you don't do that as a, a, a i'm not a parent but for a parent that should strike an accord if you have like multiple children and someone tells you choose between your children
1: yeah i agree i agree it was a great It was a great little bit of narrative for Sarek this week. It was so cool. And I'm glad that they are connecting all these strands of story from decades past and weaving them together. And it's just a beautiful picture of Sarek. If you're a fan of Sarek and you followed him throughout the years, I think they're doing a very good job staying true to who Sarek is as an individual, especially since he's the only character in Discovery that has the history Of Star Trek on his shoulders So if they go wrong with him In any way The writers are going to be fucked Like people will forget the F word That they drop, forget some of the the Technology that may not make sense at this time Period, those things we can overlook Based on The fact that we're in modern times and television Is very different, we can't harken back to old Technology, just wouldn't make sense, as long as things Kind of stay true to the heart and story and you don't conflict story and narratives and you pretend things didn't exist. That's one thing. But when you're dealing with a character like Sarek, who has a lot of Star Trek history on his shoulders, you got to, you got to handle him with kid gloves. And that's exactly what they're doing with him. And when you bring up the TNG and we're talking about, you know, the original series as well and all the iterations of Sarek, this instance makes so much sense to his character in Star Trek. On multiple levels And it just you know my hats off to the Writers for doing it because that's a ballsy Move number one bringing a character like This into Star Trek because it Does potentially create issues Yes but so far It's working Really well and I can't I can't complain at all I think It was handled very well And the logic extremists targeting Sarek also makes sense. He's a man that has never struggled with prejudice. He's very progressive in terms of when you, in relation to the Vulcans, he doesn't view things the same way with prejudice as many of the Vulcans do because even the, the 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 nicest of vulcans still struggle with prejudice not racist not racism it's very different racism and prejudice a lot of people think are very Same. Uh, yeah they they think they're interchangeable words and they're they're two very different things uh, i would say the logic extremists are racist absolutely racist and vulcans as a culture are a bit prejudiced Prejudous. because they feel that they're better than yes They feel like they're better than everybody else and they wish to shun others who do not share in their so-called logical intellect and that I would deem that as prejudice. So the fact that Sarek has never kind of cozied up to that idea or ideology would make sense that he would become a target for the logic extremists, which again adds more oomph to the Sarek storyline.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially like, when you take into the grand grand scale of Seric's life, when the when the one Vulcan like uh, chastises Seric for right, uh, be, uh having like half children right. and stuff like that, that harkens back to Serik's entire family, not just Burnham and Spock, but you brought up Cybok. Yeah, Cyborg is the same way. Sarek, Sarek, all his life, all of his children. Have that part of almost that chaotic nature that all Vulcans shun. And that has to weigh on a father when yeah. you look at his children and you're you know, like
1: going, no one's going to accept my children for who they are right. except for me. Right. And that's yet another great way for the writers of Discovery to continue Gene Roddenberry's social political exploration into interracial relationships. Why do you think he introduced this way back in the 60s? The idea of Sarek being married to a human woman, and, uh, yep. Amanda Grayson. It, it makes sense for Gene Roddenberry's ideology and his politics and for the writers to continue that. Because unfortunately, there are people in this country who still struggle with that. It's a great way to explore that dynamic as well. Exactly. I, I really do hope. I don't think they'll they'll cover
2: in Discovery, but in books. After this episode, and this episode by far is probably my favorite because it opens up so many cool questions. I agree. Is the fact that we're looking at, we're looking at Sarek's life as a total. And we were already questioning his relationship with Burnham, his relationship with Spock. Why not question, as funny as it sounds, a lot of people don't want to bring back that character, but why not bring Cybok? You realize how messed up. Sarek was with Cybok because Cybok was his son, what that he had with a Vulcan, an actual full Vulcan princess. Right. But the thing was, yeah, he was truly full Vulcan, but something was wrong with Cybok to the point his emotions were he couldn't control his emotions. Yeah. And he was ra- Cybok was raised by Sarek and Spock for a little bit before they became estranged. Makes you wonder, well, what about all his children? How did all their children feel about each other?
1: Yeah, and it would kind of make sense also when you see the fact that his son is uh, is exiled, Cybok, I believe at this time. Yeah, uh, Cybok was exiled. And then you have Spock and him at odds. It would make sense in a lot of ways for him to kind of gravitate to Burnham, the the last kid who hasn't quite shunned him or someone he hasn't shunned as well. So it's, it's definitely an interesting, you know, I want to say a social I don't want to say social experiment I I, the word eludes me but it's an interesting look into the social I I want to say psychology of family yes and how we deal with things it's just it's it's actually very well done but it's very well done Dave we need to wrap the Sarek aspect but overall yes they did pay a a wonderful tribute to Sarek and the ongoing narrative of Sarek is ever-growing, and I feel like they did right by everything that we've seen so far, but ultimately, once again, it's all about Burnham, and that's that's nice and great that we can get such oomph on a character, but this all goes right back to Burnham, and through everything we learned about Sarek, which is an awesome nugget, we learned about Burnham. Yes, And we learned about who she is and what makes her tick And I think ultimately that's the beautiful thing about this entire episode Relating to Sarek and, and Burnham's relationship Now on that note, David, before we move on I need to go to a very quick live read here, Dave We must tell people about a few things going on, on the, uh, From the Star Trek from the holodeck front of things Now, if you want to get more Star Trek from the holodeck David, all people have to go to is patreon.com slash rainman digital and pledge. When you pledge $5 or more a month, you can gain access to hours of additional Star Trek discussions from us, ranging from topics on Q, the Mirror Universe, the Borg, and so much more. And we're putting out, what, one to two Star Trek discussions additional a month right now? Absolutely, yep. One to two, I believe. And we get into all the nitty-gritty of those Star Trek iterations that we discuss, much like we do Discovery. Whether it be a comic, a book, just an actual topic. Like, right now we're doing Q, right? Yes. We're delving into Q and what makes him tick as a character and an individual and his relevance in Star Trek canon. So head over to patreon.com slash digital and pledge. Help us keep this ship afloat. I don't want to have to blow up our ship much like Lorca did. Right? <laughs> All right. Now the definition of lethe, as we were talking at the talking about the top of the show, is a word taken from Greek mythology, Roman mythology. It's a rev- river in Hades whose waters cause drinkers to forget their past. Yeah. Also, oblivion or forgetfulness. Again, that is a damn poetic title. And it fits absolutely. It fits does the episode perfect? It really does. It's so good. All right. So moving into Captain Lorca, he is in fact struggling from PTSD, as <laughs> we have learned this week. Yeah. Star Definitely. Trek. Yeah, Star Trek fans that want to cry about this not being Trek justifies his warmongering. We learned a bit about this in Choose Your Pain, David, when we realized that he was suffering with the decision that he made when he specifically said, "I chose my pain and now I have to deal with it." And it has made him dangerous. Now, when I hear that, this is a man struggling from his decisions, and he chose his pain. It's very Shakespearean. It it feels like Star Trek. It reminds me of Captain Kirk, and one of my favorite lines of all time in Star Trek, taken from a movie that a lot of Star Trek fans don't like. However, I love it. And it's Star Trek V, when Captain Kirk doesn't want to lose his pain. His pain is what makes him who he is. Yes, I need my pain. I learn from my mistakes. I don't want to lose that. You lose your if you lose your past transgressions and things that's hurt you emotionally, how will you learn not to do that again? And this kind of challenges that very notion in a way that serves the story and doesn't necessarily contradict Gene Roddenberry ideology, it makes us look at things very differently. But by by at the same time, staying true to Star Trek ideology. And you have a guy working through a decision that he now has to live with the rest of his life. And we learn that this guy isn't as heartless as we may have thought originally that he's not a bad guy just because he was born that way. He's a guy that was a good capable, ethical captain, and he made a decision that changed who he is completely and forever.
2: Yes. And, like, the fact of the matter is, is, like, in the last episode, being captured by the Klingons was an absolute shock to his system. Like, while in that episode it seemed like, oh, he's handling it well, he's handling it fine, In actuality, he still was a POW and he still suffered from that. Yeah. Lorca is just good at embracing the pain that he has, just like what you said. He chooses his pain. Any pain he experiences now, he embraces it. Yeah. The only problem with Lorca is like while he embraces it,
1: he doesn't control it. And that's the biggest difference. I mean, we've seen people do these things. We we've I mean, Picard has struggled with PTSD throughout the TNG era, ever since his encounter with the Borg, and he was assimilated into the Hive. Yeah, that that led to his Moby Dick moment. Yes, and it also led to the Federation not trusting him when it came to fighting the Borg at Wolf 359. They didn't trust him, told him to stay away from the battle. Yes. So PTSD is something we've also explored before. It's nothing new. The difference is Lorca's... How, the difference is, is how Lorca handles it. He handles it very different. And that's the interesting part about his character. The social landscape is still Trek. You know, exploration, yada, yada, yada. But this is a small speck in a bigger picture. And we're dealing with real human emotions and psychology. And I said this from the very beginning. Give us a reason to believe and I will follow. Meaning, if you're going to change what we're used to in Star Trek, make it make sense. If we're going to use war as a backdrop, make it feel like Star Trek, but give us reasons to believe as to why this would happen. Give us reasons to understand the characters and why they're making the decisions they're making. And so far, they've done just that.
2: Yeah, and they made it made it clear for every character too, which is, I always liked the fact that when I looked at Lorca, he follows in line with absolutely every single captain that we have seen thus far in Star Trek history. I agree. And they the all thing- struggle from demons. They struggle from demons, and they have that one PTSD moment. Kirk has the death of his son. Uh, Picard has the Borg. You could say Janeway. Cisco has the Borg too. Cisco, well, Cisco was more of the Dominion thing. No,
1: but Cisco, what, how oh, we yeah, were introduced the to Cisco was the it, loss of his wife, his wife loss of his and wife. his family being torn apart due to Locutus of Borg and Wolf 359. So he was introduced as also a damaged and broken individual as well.
2: And then with Janeway, Janeway was different because Janeway's PTSD was being
1: away from her husband. Oh. For so long, she should have been happy. She had day there. Yeah. <laughs> she he's, she could have ridden. He's a, he's a man. Look at those tattoos on his face. She, she could have ridden the Indian side. Oh, <laughs> I love Native Americans. I love Native Americans.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we gotta remember, we gotta remember family friendly. Family uh,
1: friendly. Right. <laughs> um, <our key>. Aki. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anyways, we need to move on, but. The question was posed this week, David, how dangerous is Lorca? And that was the question that was posed to the audience this week. How dangerous is this man? What is he really capable of? I mean, I thought for sure there was a moment, Dave, where I felt he was going to kill Amra Cornwell when she got up and walked out of the room and when she realized he is struggling with PTSD and that he's not fit to run Uh, The captains or he's not he's not fit to run a ship and sit in the captain's seat. I thought he was going to pull that blaster out and blow her away. And that's another cool thing about the show and how they're writing Lorca. You're not sure what to expect from him. Yeah, because you would never think that if this was Captain Kirk or Picard or Cisco or Janeway or Archer, you those questions wouldn't even be asked. But the fact that they're playing with with moral and ethical questions here fits the story and fits Lorca as he's been introduced to the audience and what's currently going on in the story so that's the cool thing about this this series is that it's making you question things that you've never done before in Star Trek so when she gets up and walks out the door did you not think he was going to blast her away too I thought so too because I was like going he has that look
2: like he he's going to do something that he's he might regret yeah and like that's why in the very end when he makes when saru looks at him and says oh we need to do something when he makes the comment that he wants to wait for orders from higher up i'm like going, okay again you don't know what Lurk is gonna do yeah because is he doing this because he doesn't want cornwall uh taking away his command
1: or is he doing oh, it come on we know do we? Dude, Do we know fully? I think we got an inside glimpse into what he might be capable of. Maybe he's not capable of pulling a blaster out and killing a woman that he at one time apparently loved and has a relationship with, but he is capable of turning a blind eye to her being rescued. The fact that he didn't want to jump into Klingon space again and get her back or try to mount a rescue. He did that obviously. He did that purposely. He didn't want to because if he rescues her, that means he's going to lose his commission as captain of the Discovery. And that would be the that would be the that would be the great uh, the the
2: basic most known answer we can think of. But think about this: Lorca knows everything that basically Cornwall was telling him. It was getting through to Lorca because Lorca when Lorca drew the phaser on her uh, when he woke up with a start. He he looked shocked that he 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 pulled the phaser out. So. That might be on his mind that basically maybe she's right. Yeah. Maybe I'm not maybe I
1: can't do this. Yeah. Because of of all the stuff that I'm still dealing with. Yeah. I agree that he understands he has problems. Yeah. I agree with that. However, Cornwell even said when he pleaded and said I can get help. She even said, I don't even know if this is really you speaking. So thing. yes, I think he understands that he has an issue. But that doesn't mean he doesn't have malicious intent. Malicious intent, yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? Like yeah. I think he feels like he's justified because of what he's gone through. And that he is he is um he is adamant about getting revenge on the Klingons for what for kind of pushing him into the position that he had to be in when he blew away his uh his his, old crew. his, his own crew. So, interesting little things. There's also that moment that's leading me to wonder what else does he want from from Burnham. When he told Tyler, you know, bring her back in one piece. And Tyler rightfully assumed he was talking about the ship. And he said, no, I'm talking about her, about Burnham. If you don't bring her back, don't come back at all. I mean, (laughs) Jesus Christ. Christ. (laughs) you imagine the captain saying that? Yeah. I mean, Why does he feel That Burnham is Obviously we understand why he likes her Because he said it context is king He said that in the very first episode he was introduced To he believes that she's The person that he needs by her By his side in order to achieve his ultimate Goal Is there more to it though is it simply the fact that He needs more people like her To make those types of decisions that are not Necessarily Starfleet Decisions people that are willingly Willingly are willing to challenge those ideals based on logic. Who knows? Exactly. But I, whatever the case is, those questions are there purposely for the audience to, to, you know, ponder and fumble through and figure out. And that's another thing that I like so far that they're doing. They're, they're writing these types of questions that we find ourselves asking each and every week before the episode closes out. And then we think about them all week. Yeah. I love it. It's great. these breadcrumbs that they're leaving, leaving
2: us to question and stuff like that makes us want to keep on watching the episode. Absolutely. Uh, And the next episode and the next episode after that, because it's kind of like in order for like a series to really catch me, I always felt that writing, writing a, a TV series is different from a movie In a movie. You get to the ending and that's it. There's no more questions after the end of a movie. And a TV show, every episode, you have to make the audience want to come back. Yeah, and that's why I think that Discovery is doing so well, especially with this episode.
1: And yeah, and that's that's the strength of serialized television. You know, you have that serialized format. You're you're basically dropping breadcrumbs each episode and, and giving people a reason to follow the story. So it's definitely definitely good times. Uh, final thoughts Dave and then we need to take another break and we're going get, to get into another topic we'll be done breaking down the episode however we got a few things we want to get into that I think uh, warrants a discussion but first Dave I want to get your final thoughts give it to me final thoughts in a nutshell because we got to close out
2: final nutshell in the uh, in final, a nutshell. Nutshell. <laughs> final nutshell final in a nutshell in a nutshell <laughs> uh, the episode is absolutely my favorite episode of the season uh, See uh, episode 6 like, far exceeded what I was expecting this week. After last week's, I was expecting another type of, okay, we're going to be led into this by the hand and everything else. They went wholeheartedly into everything. They gave us great character uh, development of Sarek and Burnham. They gave us developed and Lorca. Uh, They left us on a absolute cliffhanger of what the Discovery crew is going to do next. So, Overall, nutshell, I'm happy with it. I give this absolutely an A-plus for, for, for an episode. Look at you, David. I mean, honestly, dude, this is probably better than the first two episodes, which got me hooked.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, my final thoughts. Stellar episode. Another great addition to this new series, and it leaves me wanting more each and every week, much like you just said, Dave. Um, I would also say it's a definitely an A. I don't know if it's an A+. plus. Um, I feel like the story was strong and the weaving of Sarek's story and his relevance in Star Trek canon being weaved so expertly into the new iteration of Star Trek, Star Trek Discovery, was just amazingly done. Well thought out. Bringing in that Shakespearean tragedy, the Shakespearean questioning of morality and ethics, I mean it is Star Trek. It absolutely is Star Trek. So I give this an A. I had a few problems with some of the writing aspect when I when I say writing, not the story. Um just how certain things were laid out. Um I, I did question Burnham's opening up to Tyler or Ash, Ash Tyler, right? Is that his name? I felt like that felt odd to me. I, I don't. I, it was a nice moment. I do like it. However, why him? Of all the people she's known so far in the ship, it would make more sense for her to really start talking, like she did at the end, with someone like uh, Sylvia. It didn't feel... What was the word? Cause you and I talked about this off-air. What was the word you used? It felt out of place. It felt out of character. Uh, out of character a bit. Yes, she's learning to open up emotionally, as we saw this week. She even she even you know spoke very openly and candid with Lorca when she said, "I'm really happy to be serving under you." He's definitely feeling like she's a part of the crew. Yeah, I, I felt like that was not the right character she should have been talking to. I understand they need to introduce Tyler more now that he's a new ongoing permanent character in our show. He's been promoted as, what, tactical officer? Yes. Or chief of security, I think. Um, so he's, in a, he's a character we need to start being introduced to. And I think, logically, it made sense to bring him to the forefront a bit. However, in terms of Burnham and what we've seen of her so far, I think it would make more sense for her to talk to Sylvia. Do you agree or disagree? I agree because... Uh... I, I see your point,
2: especially since, especially since throughout the last couple of episodes, Sylvia seems to be the one that actually she has close contact to. The second
1: only being to Saru. Yeah, so I don't think it was a necessarily like a bad decision where it's horrible and they should have done it. I, I, it's a it's a decision that I wouldn't have made as a writer. So I can get behind it. I don't think it taints the episode at all. Uh, but it it is something that I did question when I was watching the episode so you know Dave we're going to go to a very 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 quick break and then when we come back we're going to get into another topic and it has to do with uh, whether or not Star Trek is family friendly anymore and we're going to talk about that uh, so we'll be right back double dumbass on you everything oh, oh.
0: What are you looking at, nerd? Huh? I thought I was looking at my mother's old douchebag, but that's in Ohio. <laughs> Decal
1: Saturday. And this is something that Supernatural, I don't think, has ever really had a big problem with. Right? It, all of its monsters, a lot of shows have procedural elements. We've talked about this before on the show. There's a level of responsibility on his head as someone that is a metahuman and uses his powers for good. She's Force-sensitive, but she's not a Jedi. If you've been watching Rebels, you see that happening. Uh, during a roundtable interview with reporters yesterday, The Flash executive producer Andrew Kreisberg revealed that Kevin Smith... However, race is important in the Dark Tower universe, and the relationship between Susanna Dean and Roland centers around the color of their skin. Catch up on your favorite Rayman digital geek shows every Saturday. DC on CW. Back to Tank, Weird West Radio, The Crossroads, and more. Geek Out Saturday on Rainman Channel 001. Listen for the Rainman digital app or tune in. Just search RM Channel 001. Energize. <laughs> Alright, we're back. Star Trek Discovery edition of From the Holodeck. We kind of skimmed over visual effects this week, and I don't want to. And we're going to try to add more segments pertaining to things outside of writing. It's just we, so tr- we, we try to stick to an hour of the show. So we try to cover the narrative aspect of the show. But we need, I think it would be remiss of us not to cover every aspect. I mean, the production design week after week is just mind-blowing. Uh, For a television budget, I believe the estimated budget per episode was six million dollars. So yes, that's high, but still for the amount of production quality that we're getting, six million dollars—wow! It looks more like twenty million. Yeah. So they're doing it. Looks film quality. Yeah, they're doing a great job with the amount of budget that they are given, and that goes as well for the visual effects, and not just. Not was the I don't want to say the visual effects were great and beautiful because they were, but it's more than that. This week we saw Vulcan, okay, and the grand planetscapes and the cityscapes of Star Trek is something that is has long been memorable, dating back to the '60s because. It was the idea of seeing strange new worlds and, and seeing things that we haven't quite seen. Bef- something that we haven't quite seen before on television. And it became a mainstay to Star Trek. Those beautiful cityscapes, those map paintings, which, by the way, we are actually pretty close to an individual who worked on those map paintings. On, I believe, Next Generation, uh, Voyager, Deep yep. Space Nine. The only series he didn't work on was, um, Enterprise. was Enterprise, and I think he actually worked on the original series as well. And so we know a thing or two about a lot of the visual effects and how it took place on Star Trek up until Enterprise when they switched from models and miniatures, matte paintings, and they turned a leaf over and j- jumped into the head first into the world of CGI. And I liked... The decision that they've made, that the visual effects coordinator and the visual effects team has chosen to go with. And despite the fact that they're using modern technology, obviously, they went with a look that was reminiscent of the 60s and the 80s era of Star Trek. It's the the matte painting look. And those of you that don't know what matte paintings are. Focus on the word painting, because basically that's what it is. You have the camera set up. They use force perspective. They put the characters in front of the camera lens and then way in the background. They actually use a painting. Yep. It's an actual painting that usually they range in size. Sometimes they can be, you know, 12 by 12. Sometimes they can be 200 by 300. 300. There's been no limits. <laughs> There's no size limits to matte painting, especially with big budget, you know, film and television.
2: Yeah, if you and if you still go to a lot of the studio locations, especially like Universal Studios, they still have some of those map paintings. Yeah, and, and they're
1: magnificent looking. They're still gorgeous. They just they look amazing. And a lot of people may not realize that's exactly what they are. And they kind of go hand in hand. Sometimes they're interchangeable with uh, set extension. With set extension, sometimes is um, it's kind of a broad definition nowadays. But I guess to briefly explain it, um, set extension. Is taking a set that's partially constructed, practical effects are utilized, and then they extend the set either from the left side, the right side, or even in the background, in the background. with visual effects. Whether it be a, a matte painting or a green screen. I loved what they did with Vulcan this week.
2: It, Dude, it, was, it looked beautiful
1: it looked amazingly gorgeous the colors were vibrant they popped which was what a lot of the planets looked like in the original star trek and not only was the color palette spot on but you also had that matte painting look they could have gone with the with the the more i want to say depth of modern CGI that they have sometimes. They could have built, and you know what? They very well might have been that very well might have been CGI. But my point is, is they designed it to look more like a mat rather than a CGI landscape. And the fact that they did that just gave, gave like much needed continuity in terms of aesthetics. Aesthetics, especially
2: down to the, the original series. I mean, you brought up the colors. The colors absolutely match what we saw in the 1960s. Yeah. Which sounds sounds uh, ridiculous, might sound ridiculous to some people. Oh, you're using old technology, but...
1: I don't think they're using old technology. They're using new
2: technology, using obviously, new technology to give it a similar look. To give it some continuity. And I think that that's the most brilliant aspect of, like, what Discovery has done with their visual effects. Yeah. Vulcan was absolutely one of the biggest examples of how much detail they're trying to keep Star Trek Star Trek yeah if if they were to make Vulcan look a little just even a little different we would notice as Star Trek fans to go that doesn't look like Vulcan yeah. at all
1: it's not just you know what we've come to expect with the city but like, hey, Vulcan needs to look like Vulcan, but that's something that even the 2009 movie didn't do. The two, um, The uh, 2009 and 2013 movies, when we deal with, uh, I'm sorry, 2013, Vulcan was blown up. In 2009, um, yes, the colors were the same, but the actual look, the, the, the cityscape shot, was not reminiscent of things that we saw in the past from in TV the past, series. Geez. It was more updated to look more like, you know, the, the things what we've come accustomed to in big budget movies. There's a specific style that each visual effects artist and company has gravitated to every two or three years. And that's what 2009 Star Trek looks like that movie. Whereas this specific shot looked like they were purposely trying to harken back to what the cityscapes looked like in the early days of Trek, whether it be the original series or. Or TNG and I'd even say Deep Space Nine. I'm rewatching Deep Space Nine right now again for the fifth time. I want to kind of update myself on Deep Space Nine. And even their city, their planetscapes ha- is that they definitely are using matte paintings as well. They have that specific look. So they're staying true to the look of Star Trek in terms of the planets and what we've seen in the TV series. So my hat's off again to that. In fact, I'm going to try right. I'm going to try this evening. I'm going to I have it on my list of, the, of things to do, David, and I'm going to be calling um, these visual effects houses and their agents to get some of these guys on the show
2: because their work. It, it just needs to be. praised.
1: Yeah. And I want to Absolutely. talk to them. I want to talk to them about their plan of action. Like wh- wh- where are they drawing inspiration from? I think there's a lot to discuss there. And it's something that I just don't want to I don't want to continually skip over because it's just amazingly and fantastically done each and every week. All right, so let's move into the main topic here, Dave, and that is uh, uh, an idea that a few trolls out in Star Trek land has um, (laughs) been trying to get momentum on. And it's the idea that the show is no longer family friendly. The show is no longer family friendly. So says a few angry, belligerent fans. Um, And of course, they're pointing to the gay relationship. And the most obvious one is the F word that was dropped last week. Now, I even had someone troll me on our Star Trek from the Holodeck Facebook page, David. Okay. Somebody trolled us. Yay, we have a troll. Yeah, and the guy says, so sad that Star Trek... Is no longer family friendly. And my response was right to the point. I said yeah. Because Captain Kirk having sex with anything that moves. And Tasha Yar (laughs) having sexual relations with an artificial life. Is all about strong family values. Yeah. And and not to mention Reginald Barkley's masturbatory sessions. He had in the holodeck. While he's fantasizing about every female on the Enterprise. Or or. I forgot, uh, I forgot. Uh, or Kirk making out with a shapeshifter and then hitting him in his kneecaps that happens to be genitals. I mean, come on. Star Trek has never been, gee gee, gosh, Willie, Jeepers, exactly. Mr. Wilson. It's never been Leave it to Beaver. Oh yeah, absolutely. Ever. You had women revealing their their upper thighs in the 60s, which was very provocative in the 60s. That was not family-friendly. I'm sorry, but Uhura's skirt was not family-friendly for the 60s. Oh, no. Kirk making out with uh, Uhura was not family-friendly. Kirk having sexual relations with numerous women is not family-friendly. Listen, I'm not offended by any of it. I don't think it's an offensive act. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's what Star Trek is.
2: Also, the one thing that I basically want to point out Remember in TNG, we had an episode where we had a naked female zoid wedding. Exactly. Because I mean, the zoids believe that basically if you
1: get married, you have to be naked when you do it. Yeah, and how many in- sexual <laughs> innuendos was that? It was there when they were talking about that, and, and the deviant looks of Commander Riker every time <laughs> women passed by. I mean, especially when Deanna Troy walked by. Oh, it wasn't just her, it, every woman that was remotely attractive, Riker gave her those deviant glares. Riker it, was like just going, Oh, just you wait. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna show you a basin. <laughs> I mean, and then also the pleasure planet Riza in Star Trek where everyone relaxes and has sex. This isn't Star <laughs> Trek. It has never been family friendly. I, has it been PG in terms of language? Yes. David, one more. One more example here. David, give me a second here. Seven of nine <laughs> in her cat suit that goes up her vag. And shows every part of her boobs and ass. Guess what? That's not family friendly. It's not family friendly. I appreciate it, but it's not family friendly. Hey. To, to Paul. And uh, who's the, the gentleman? Who, who's the gentleman that that she ends up being in a relationship with? I always forget his name. It was Tucker, I believe. <laughs> oh, Wait, yeah. Shrimp. Commander Tucker. Yeah, I mean, because family friendly is two people in a decontamination room rubbing essential oil all over each other so that they don't bring in bacteria and cause the Enterprise crew to die. But they're rubbing oil all over each other's bodies and their boobs and their ass and their chest and their back sexually and seductively. Cause that's family values. That's family values. Oh yeah. DePaul wearing tight ass pants that go up her vag like seven to nine. Yeah, Dave, that's strong family values there. Say it out loud before you type it. Say it out loud before you complain because your complaints are null and void when you say Star Trek is no longer a family friendly show. Because, in my opinion, it's never been family friendly. I was a child going through hormonal issues watching Deanna Troy and the Beta Zoid wedding, I was a grown man going through hormonal <laughs> problems watching Voyager and Enterprise. <laughs> it's it just people need to relax. I'm sorry they said the f word. I'm sorry there's a gay relationship. Please, heaven forbid. Heaven forbid. forbid. And also on top of that is kind of like if you look at
2: if you look at Star Trek's entire history, I mean like there's violence.
1: Violence is everywhere. You know, you have the war. They're or- not complaining about that. They're complaining about the the, the cursing and the homosexual relationship and that leads me to our next article David alright conservative activists want gay star trek characters to cure their homosexuality right wing activist peter la la barbera has suggested that star trek should balance the number of gay, gay characters on tv by having some ex gay characters star trek discovery which debuted last month according to this article pink news uh, first TV show in the franchise to feature an openly gay couple on board the Starship. Rent Rent star Anthony Rapp plays a science officer, Lieutenant Paul Stamets, while Wilson, Wilson Crew plays his partner, medical officer Dr. Hugh Culber. Who, you know, we didn't even talk about Stamets. Stamets is actually turning into one of my favorite characters. Yeah, he's amazing. Uh, but Peter LaBarbera, the founder of Americans for Truth About Homosexuality, is not impressed. Speaking on a radio station, VCY America, La Barbera claimed that the media should include more characters who have been cured of homosexuality for a balance. He said the homosexuals activists are never satisfied. They are always they always want more and more and more. We have yet to see any ex gay or former homosexual prominently portrayed in Hollywood. This is more activism, and I guess all we can do is not watch Star Trek. You want bisexuals? He wants, basically, he's of the mind that you can cure homosexuality. And he would like, he would like to start for Star Trek because it does take place in the future and medical advances, right? Well, he would like to see that there were some Star Trek characters that were cured. Ah, uh, he's a the world is flat type of person. Yeah, he wants to show that in the future we can fix all problems, including homosexuality. See, there's an inherent flaw to his way of thinking. You can't reason with someone like this because he doesn't. It isn't really a question of morality or ethics either. He's not even going at it from a from a a religious standpoint, which you can debate. He's going at it at a ultra right conservative standpoint of we could choose. We choose. We choose and we can fix it because it's a medical problem. It's very hard to reason with those type of people. Yes, it is. And it's sad that this article has even picked up as much momentum as it has by other conservative Star Trek fans who are agreeing with this. And I think it's just a step backwards. And Gene Roddenberry would you guys want to live and die? Gene Roddenberry, you want to uh, say he's rolling in his grave. But if he knew that Star Trek fans were circulating these types of articles, he would be appalled. He would, because Gene Roddenberry was all about this. He was all about
2: progressive thought. Yeah, you gotta remember one of the biggest one of the biggest backstories that I, rem- that I remember in st- the original Star Trek. I think it was uh, George Takei. He originally wanted Sulu to be gay,
1: and Roddenberry no. agreed. No, he did not. Yes. No, it it's was the opposite. Was it the opposite? It's the opposite. Um, George Decay was, uh, you're confusing your stories. George Decay was upset with them turning his character gay in Star Trek in the recent movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it wasn't Gene Roddenberry's original purpose. Yeah. And he said that he doesn't of course he's uh, George Takei is a, a very well popularly known gay individual in Hollywood, so he obviously doesn't have a problem with gay characters. Yeah. He just wants there to be new gay characters. He says don't take an, a character that was intended to be straight and then turn him gay to fit, you know, the the the, the, narrative. the, the narrative of today. He says I don't I can't agree with that cuz that's that's you know altering Gene Roddenberry's vision of that character. Take other characters and make them gay. Yeah, and um, and that's kind of the 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 consensus. I think you were confusing your stories, but but yeah, I, I just it's really I bring this up just for the fact that I'm hoping, and I don't want to turn our show into a preachy show, and that's why I I um, put this at the end of our discussion. But I just it's sad to see that people are complaining about these types of things. And, and I'm sure back in the 60s, people were complaining about the interracial kiss between Uhura and Kirk. And they were appalled by it. And it was disgusting. And put that into perspective. You're having the same argument that people had in the 60s about interracial relationships. Do you really want to be on that side of the argument? Because uh, if you were arguing that right now most people would probably punch you in your face pretty much. So if you're having that same type of argument, because it is for all intents and purposes, the exact same argument, they don't want homosexuals in the star Trek and they don't want interracial relationships. It's the exact same argument and see how we evolved. And we realized there was nothing wrong with people loving who they want to love and, and making out with who they want to make out with. I, I do want to say this. When I first heard about the gay relationship that was going to be introduced, I was there. I had some reservations about it and not, not because I don't accept gay love. I'm all I'm all pro. I'm pro homo. And those of you that listen to our network know this for a fact. And I, I use that as a slang term, not trying to be offensive. I use it as a comical touch. I, w- I had reservations only because I didn't want them to do this heavy handedly. I didn't want there to I didn't want to feel like an agenda and the way they enter and we talked about this last week David the way they introduced the gay relationship was very subtle it wasn't an agenda it wasn't a a push for you know wasn't a, an advocacy for social politics and we must change this is okay it was just there cuz that's in reality guess what gay people exist in reality it exists and in the future gay people are still going to exist unless Hitler is rebirthed somehow (laughs) and he defeats all gay people somehow. But guess what? They're going to be around forever because they're people. They're people. (laughs) It's so ridiculous. Anyways, on that note, we need to close out this show. I got a little belligerent towards the end and I apologize. (laughs) However, I just get so exasperated with trolls and their toxic nature. Right? Right yeah
2: i mean the the thing about the thing about trolls is like star trek honestly is about to be everyone kind of everyone kind of says that we need to be positive with star trek hold on i'm shooting a
1: few of them right now Oh, okay maybe we shouldn't do that either (laughs) maybe we shouldn't uh, condone shooting people who think differently
2: it's it's funny because like a well, lot of phasers fans, are on
1: stun, though, David. Phasers are on stun, so, so that's okay. There you go. We're just giving them a, a warning,
2: cow. A, a lot of fans say that we should actually, oh, Star Trek's no longer PC or PG anymore. It's not family friendly. But with some of the stuff the trolls talk about, it really says it's going like, So, is your Star Trek supposed to be family friendly? Yeah. Because obviously it's built on a lot of hate.
1: It's th- thank, you. Th- thank you David And on the, and those final words of wisdom We're going to close out today's show Thank you everybody Well hold on <laughs> Don't jump the gun Thank you everybody for listening If you want to uh, catch up on all our shows Past and present You can find us on Stitcher and iTunes Just search Star Trek from the Holodeck The Discovery Edition And we should pop right up Also leave us reviews And David now And remember Live long and prosper
2: I couldn't help but notice your pain My pain It runs deep Share it with me. End simulation.